Welcome to the first episode of Setting Stages with Eddie Mack for the 2019 year. Happy New Year to you guys, and thank you for your extreme patience with me, because the last time that I aired an episode was in October of 2018, and I'll be completely honest with you, I just ran out of guests to, to feature on the show. I didn't have anyone else lined up, man. I ran out of room. I, I didn't do enough work to actually put anyone into the pipeline, but coming into this year and before the year even started, I started recording, I started reaching out to people, I hustled, I sat down with people, had great discussions, picked people's brains, and then now I get to relay several episodes out to you throughout the year, and I'm so amped, I'm so hyped to reach out to you guys and teach you something new via the people that I've spoke with. So welcome to Setting Stages with Eddie Mack. I am your host, Eddie Macaranis. I'm a former dancer who has utilized his public speaking and inquisitive and curious mind to reach out and talk to people, learn about their struggle, their life, and their unconventional path, whether that means it is their business, their health, their lifestyle. I learn about them, translate the information so that you can take some lessons from their life, and hopefully interpret that into something that you can use in yours. Now, our first guest of 2019 is Aldrin Estacio. He's a tech and electronics enthusiast who comes from a background of design, videography, photography, and now he's a respected drone pilot who specializes in drone photography and tech vlogs on YouTube. Now, I initially invited Aldrin to the show because of his unique specialty in drone art, but as our conversation progressed, it evolved into what turned out to be a a how-to on growing his YouTube following and gaining the right as a reputable resource, an authority figure of sorts, in this field of drone photography. Investing his time in the last year and a half on YouTube, Aldrin shares his experiences and his expertise with tech reviews, content creation, and drone art, and gained nearly 70,000 YouTube subscribers. Now, it's not about the YouTube subscribers that I have him on the show, but it's actually about the principles that he goes by that created his authoritative stance to become a resource for those tech enthusiasts as well. He has a wealth of knowledge to share with you guys, and I hope that you can take these principles into account, interpret it into your own world, and find ways to apply that in your endeavor. So, without further ado, let us welcome Aldrin Estacio. Let's go. Right. Welcome to another episode of Setting Stages with Eddie Mack. I'm here with an old dance buddy actually. It's been a long time we've uh, we've disconnected over the years, but we were on the same dance team many many years ago and we're definitely off into our own different worlds, family and all, but I'll let him describe his life, but uh, welcome to the show, Aldrin Estacio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This yeah. is awesome. Appreciate your time today. Uh, listen, I wanted to talk to you because you are in the world of drone photography and drone art. I think it's a very unique um, market that you're in. And uh, it's not something that I'm very familiar with. But at the same time, this creative space um, has become a little bit more open and fair game to anybody to really play the field because of the internet. And you have definitely taken. Uh, the initiative to build that for yourself, your brand, and uh, yourself as an artist. Um, so I would like to hear your story about that, but I'd like to begin kind of like, let's start with, you know, childhood Aldrin. Tell me about <laughs> you growing up. Where were you born and all of Trouble. that? Trouble. 
<laughs> I bet. I bet. I was a trouble kid. No, I was, um, <clears throat> yeah, starting out, oh, geez, born and raised here in San Diego, which is not common. So it was, I didn't really realize it wasn't that common until you get older and realize no one was born and raised here. Uh, so yeah, my parents still live in the house. I, you know, born in Balboa hospital. My dad's a Navy, my mom's nurse. So that's, uh, how we ended up in San Diego, heavy Navy town. And, um, my parents still live. I grew up in University City, UC area near UTC. So if you're familiar with San Diego, it's, it's, uh, near the mall, uh, in La Jolla. So, um, but lived there my whole life. Went to school here, went to San Diego State. So, I mean, it was, um, uh, yeah, very, very uh, lucky to, to kind of land here and, and stick around, even though I, I tried venturing out a couple of times, but it just it didn't, it didn't work as much as I it, thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a gorgeous place to live. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we pay for the weather we around here. We pay for the weather. You're paying for that sunshine, <laughs> that sunshine tax that everyone calls it. That's the truth, man. You have siblings and such? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we have one older brother. Okay. He's uh, five years older than myself. Um, he was actually born in Long Beach. And then after he was born, my parents moved down here from Long Beach to San Diego. So he was born in Long Beach and I was born here. And um, he lives he lives close by too, probably 10, 15 minutes away. Oh, okay. Solid. Yeah. So it's, it's just always been here in San Diego. This yeah. Is your, this yeah. is familiar for you. Um, you guys, I mean, you and I grew up in a time where like nin- when Nintendo came out, oh, like, yeah. that was the shit right yeah <laughs> um so video games was a new thing a lot of things were are, are new for us um we talked earlier before getting the the mics hot just about the transition of like the internet right <clears throat> were you obsessed though as a kid were you obsessed over any particular hobby or thing before things got hot yeah i mean uh i've always been in the creative space i would say <clears throat> it always and, and, and it's funny because it actually started out super early in like middle school or early, early in that. I mean, you know, it's just like every kid, you would draw same way my kids right now, just draw on paper and, you know, you're, you're an artist to, to an extent. And then it, it, it changed to um, just uh, continuing it. And I think uh, especially our generation, you know, in middle school, we had, you know, graphic arts or high school people had graphic arts yeah. at school. and. You know, you'd make offset prints, you'd make uh, stationery, you'd make T-shirts, you know, um, you go in a, in a dark room and, you know, develop your film. And I think everyone went, you know, somewhat, most people went through that that phase of school and doing it. And then I just continued it, I would say. Um, it was just one of those things where I just loved the art aspect of it, uh, you know, cutting up lithographs and, and, and making, you know, notepads and stickers and, and, and uh, it was a time of, you know, the Macintosh just coming out and, yeah you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. So it was only, there was only a handful of us at that time that, you know, kind of moved over to that digital side. I mean, we were literally transferring a photo over onto a floppy disk and it would hold like two photos. And, you know, this was before the zip disk era and, uh, uh, it, it was just, you know, there was a, you just had like a, a few, a few of us that just kept doing the arts and, yeah. and, and it's great to see a couple of them still do it, which is, which is really cool. So as far as like, you know, the creative space of it, um, yeah, it's definitely been there for the, for the longest time that, that, that I can remember. Yeah. Since middle school, you're saying so. Even before that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For wow. sure. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Macintoshes. I remember being in middle school actually, and there was a class that we used Macintoshes, and it was the weirdest thing because we're so used to PCs at the time, and then having a single button on the mouse was weird for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> or, just, Oregon Trail on the, yeah, on the Mac. Oregon Trail on the Mac. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we were using, I think we were using um, like the very first version of oh, the for Apple sure. back then. And it was funny because I think back then everyone technically were programmers because in order for you to play Oregon Trail, you almost have to learn, learn how to code. You did have to code, yeah. So uh, it was like super secret, un, you know, didn't realize you were beginning the first stages of coding, you yeah. know, uh, in order for you to move that 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 wagon <laughs> uh, and now look right uh, yeah what an I, I on the visual side and then other people go into the coding side That's so uh, yeah it was, it was good um you went to san diego state you mentioned yeah what did you study graphic design so graphic design wasn't uh there wasn't much see what that was interesting that especially at the time 90 you know i graduated high school 96 mm. and back then there was no or there was only a few schools that actually offered the arts um long beach state or long beach yeah like the long beach state was one that actually had a graphic design program okay san diego state did have one but it was very early in stages um but typical san diego parents and typical ways you know you want to go to ucsd i would say Mm -hmm. at the time so um i kind of put the you know graphic design stuff uh, as a possibility and then I was like, okay, well, how do I get over to UCSD? Let me just do like a tag program and try to figure out how to get over there. But then it, it just didn't feel right. Even, even if I went to UCSD, they didn't have graphics. You know, they had they had graphic or visual arts, but it was part of like their extension program. Yeah. Like it yeah. wasn't an actual degree. A degree. Okay. Because UCSD is not really made, made for or designed. Uh, that's not their specialty. You know, their specialty is, you know, medical and science and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, so unless you wanted to take a picture of... Of bones, yeah, you know, like, you know, microscope <laughs> pictures. I don't know. It, it was, uh, it, was, it just wasn't there, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was no. So, and I, and I wanted to pursue it, and and luckily enough, my parents, they never, you know, forced me or pushed me to to to. No, you know, you have to go to that type of school or you know, being in the medical field or anything. Okay, they were very open to whatever. That's and, so different from you know, yeah. particularly in our culture and then in our generation yes. to to have that encouragement and open mind of whatever you want to do, go pursue it. Just make sure you put your head down and work. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel pressure from them. I mean, you know, there was, it was definitely an under, you know, tr- you know, they just didn't understand what I was trying to do or where, where I was. And neither did I, let's be honest. Okay. I mean, no, I don't think anyone really knows what you're doing in college or starting out to be because, you know, stuff changes so fast. For so, sure. but yeah, SCSU was like the only one that had a graphics, graphic design program. It was very early in stages, so uh, you know a lot of their their professors and the teachers were uh, they they were they were they were okay. It was just you know it wasn't they I don't I don't feel like it was it was a different. Just you know they had some experience and it was it was only one or two teachers that was really in the field that okay. was you know like practitioner teacher style like they were part of also an agency they went through like the whole marketing design agency style yeah and there's a couple of them that, that are just. They were just, you know, teachers. Like they just focused on, I guess, the, the you know, basics of graphics. And so the, the the program was pretty early stages. I know Long Beach was one. So I, I was just teetering on: Do I go to Long Beach and leave San Diego for the program? I have family in Hawaii, and I was like, Oh, I just want to 
bounce and just and just go to Hawaii, yeah, dude, and just yeah. be like go to U of H and live that you know that high life, literally, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then it just came down to just all right. Well, why don't I just uh, stay in San Diego, do the SDSU program, um, and, and and do the graphics program. So that's right. kind of where I went. That's legit. The um, while you were going to school, considering that it was in early stages as far as uh, teaching graphic design, and you mentioned just a very select few practitioners as instructors were, were there frustrating moments where you as a as a creative mind were there moments where you were just like there, there's more to this like oh for sure yeah describe <clears throat> that for sure i think it was interesting is that uh, i've always, i've just always been like hungry for visual arts and um it, it was interesting because some of the classes i, I would i would be in and it's not to say that i was that good it was just i just kept wanting to do it and I, you, know, you end up being in classes where teachers were like, okay, well, great. You, know, you, you actually figured it out before us. Or mm-hmm. like, because back then, like when we're talking about software, software was still super new, right? We're talking about macromedia. Like, most people probably watch this, you know, oh, never yeah. even heard of that. Yeah. So, you know, Adobe was there, uh, you know, the Photoshop Illustrator, all that stuff was there. But, you know, we were going from like a time of Adobe Streamline. You know, people don't really know what that is nowadays, of course. Uh, macromedia Flash you know, uh, Macromedia director. So a lot of these things were emerging at the time. So, you know, as, as younger generation, we were able to pick it up fast and, and, and then next, you know, it's like, we're teaching the teachers. Isn't that something? Right. So they're, they're teaching us some foundational design stuff. But then when it came down to actually like producing content, Oh, you have to make like an educational game. They were able to teach us like, you know, fundamentals of design. But when it actually came to implementing it into the software, they're like, I don't. How do you? How do you do it? Like, no how do you? Because back then, is you know, if you did Mac, if you did Flash, yeah, um, that was like a really high skill software, and everyone was doing like educational stuff using Macromedia Director. Very similar programs, um, but the use cases were different for each platform. So, but Flash was like taking off. It was like everything was Flash, Macromedia Flash, making, oh, yeah. making move, making. I remember making websites, you know, using Flash. Yeah, but that's a. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but no. just, 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 just to give an idea for those folks who might not understand what Aldrin is referring to, but Flash had a lot of, it was literally flashy images moving on your screen on a website, you know, per se. Um, but there was a very technical side where you have to write the language and you also have to design yeah. the visual of it. So that it's, it's a mix of left brain, right brain activity to make something really cool. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> exactly it. You know, you're just, you're making vector art move and, um. Uh, you know, you can make a lot of stuff in it, uh, but the thing that there, there was definitely like that clash of visual designers. And if you really wanted to make it really good, then you had to know ActionScript to make it function properly. Oh, man. So there was a lot of that learning curve around that that language uh, at the time. But, you know, there was a bunch of companies out there that, you know, people still put on the pedestal up to now. So if you're an old school designer... At that time, my kind of my generation, then you you know like about the two advanced, the Balthazar, the heavy, you know heavy.com, and and those people were, right. they were just literally like they were the ones that made you know viral gifs, 
you know the 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 dancing like re, you know the buff wrestler guy and like you know so it's <laughs> unless you really know it's uh the g monk era so uh these guys are just like legends in in the designer space for our times and and it's kind of good to see i actually watched a couple like youtube videos good to see that actually some of them are still going yeah you know they're doing yeah. their own thing but they're you know but they, it's in, it's in your blood, you know. It's yeah, like they, isn't G Monk still on fire right yeah. now? Yeah, he made it big. He made a, I mean, a pretty good comeback as far as like you just kind of. For me, I, I felt like he disappeared, but then like just with the evolution of YouTube, everyone's starting to come back out because now I, it's now you control. You, you're in control now. Yeah, that's the biggest difference. YouTube was just something to watch viral videos on. Yeah, I mean, and now it's become an industry, like a medium for people to give themselves exposure to the common next door neighbor you know and you you actually uh, have a pretty strong following on youtube tell me about your journey how'd you get involved to to to, how'd you get started to begin with yeah i think um you know uh we were talking earlier and i I mean i had my i had the account just like most people right you sign up for a gmail account you sign up for youtube and then and what's interesting is that we're still at the very very beginning of stages of it even though it's been around for a long time um people think it's very saturated which it is to an extent but you have to remember that there's still billions of people that don't have access to the internet that are gaining access to the internet and there's still new generations all every day so as saturated as you might think it is the content's always going to be there's, there's always a need for content mm-hmm. so you know just like most people i would post family videos up there miscellaneous videos on my actual personal account and it was um and you know, YouTube wasn't, there was a couple people out there that were like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it in the YouTube space, but it was just another thing. You know, it was like another, another social, newer social media that um, people were leveraging. So there was the Facebook time and then, you know, slowly, you know, the Instagram and all the other ones. And YouTube was always there, but it was, like you mentioned, it was just kind of a place that you'd watch, you know, miscellaneous videos, cat mm-hmm. videos and all that stuff, the same way we all did. And then, and then people would you don't realize the power of youtube until you're kind of in it um that you leverage it so much right and um uh you have to understand too now especially that youtube is owned by google uh youtube is the second most used search engine i use it as such yeah so so if people are doing anything online you're either youtubing it or you're googling it and you're going to the same company at that point right Uh so uh so having a having a name or having a voice on that platform, you know, especially nowadays, is is is, is a bigger deal uh, because of your reach. So, yeah, I mean, for the first few years, I started my I mean, when I say started my channel, just like most people, I just opened up an account. Mm-hmm. 2014, I posted up some miscellaneous, you know, miscellaneous videos of of um, things I like to, to watch. So there's a couple of family stuff in there and. Uh, I would see like an unboxing and, you know, before like people were unboxing, oh, yeah. you know, but you would as a, as a kind of a tech nerd and a gear nut, you know, you kind of just love watching stuff. You love watching gear. I don't care if you've seen an unboxing a hundred times. Someone's, you just like watching other people open up presents, you know, it's yeah. like they're just opening up presents and stuff that I was like, Ooh, one day I'll get that, you know, like yeah. that's so cool. And then next, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, let me make a couple of these. It's just for fun. So that's when the drone, so even though I was doing drone photography, 
um, you know, I'd, I'd work with, uh, or I'd get like a drone bag and I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll just do this. I'll just talk about the drone bag. And I was like super anti in front of cameras because I was, as you know, I was, I'm always behind a camera. Yeah. I'm always filming other people. I'm always documenting life, other people's lives, whether it be dance or, you know, events and someone's you know, wedding or, you know, anything. So I was always behind the camera and I was like, okay. So when I first started, I was like, let me just put the camera over my shoulder and then I'll just you know, show you unboxing it because I just did not want to be on camera. I got it, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that, was, that wasn't so bad. You know, you hear my voice and most, most people cringe on hearing your voice. And I'll tell you this much, you just kind of get over it. You, yeah. just, you just look yeah. past it. You're like, man, there's so many other things I can worry about in life. <laughs> but besides my that's voice. true. <laughs> so that's the hardest thing yeah. was getting over either looking at yourself or listening to your voice. Uh-huh. And then, you know, start, so I started doing that. And next you know, it's like, cool, you get some views here and there. But still, never, like, thought of it as, like, I'm going to do YouTube. Mm-hmm. You just think of it as, like, I'm providing value. Cool. I, I got excited. I did an unboxing. Someone else watched it. And I, I had no, no understanding of concept of likes, dislikes, subscribers, nothing. Like that. Okay. Did not understand any of that stuff. Didn't care. Right? Um and that's kind of where it went. And it, it, I did it, a, you know, a couple of videos over the past, like, few years when I first started. Then it wasn't until, like I mentioned, last year, the beginning of last year. And I was like, all right, this thing is, this YouTube thing is like a thing, right? And and, and it just started evolving because this is the time now where everyone's, like, cutting off cable. You know, why are people cutting off cable? Well, we have Hulu. We have Netflix. We have all this stuff on demand. We have YouTube. And... It was like, okay, well, that means there's content to be seen. For sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and on demand at that. Especially, yeah. yeah. People don't want to wait. People don't want, you know, they, well, they'll just record it and watch it later. Yeah. So then it came to that point where, like, all right, well, let me just look into, like, what is it? What does this mean? What is YouTube doing? How are people actually, like, doing YouTube? What is that? What does doing YouTube mean? Uh-huh. So that's when I started to kind of just take it, I would say, a little bit more serious and trying to understand the process of it uh, starting like the early like last year. And then I started like going, okay, let me just figure, try to figure this out like around, you know, April of last year. And I'm like, let me put myself into the mode of trying to figure out YouTube okay. and how it, how I can leverage it. So that's kind of where it went to get to that point. Got it. Yeah. What about, okay, so now now you're in and you decide I'm going to figure out this YouTube thing and what it means to YouTube. Um, did you did you have a game plan as far as um, how you were going to document your content and record or whatever the case is? Was there a schedule that you created? Things of that nature. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Not at that time, no. Okay. At that time, it was when I started actually like researching Mm. You know, following certain people or just not, not just certain people, but, you know, uh, when I started seeing people on YouTube saying, oh, you know, I'm, uh, I quit my job to do YouTube and then, or, or, uh, you know, I wanted to, I started doing YouTube to, you know, uh, you know, kind of maybe possibly look at it as a business or, or just enhance everything right so i was like how are these people what are they talking about what i don't i don't really get it you know what how is that possible in this day and age right and it wasn't until like i saw actually i saw a couple youtubers probably a few years ago um and there was one actually i'm sure you probably know like like and it's not like that he's like a 
staple of it, but he kind of is a staple of it as far as like the Asian community. It was like Timothy De La Ghetto or like Traffic, right? Yeah. There was this one episode where he's like, I bought my, I paid off my parents' house. I don't know if you saw that one, Mm-mm. but this was probably, I would say, oh man, two, three, four years ago where he was like, I, I, he went to his parents' house and he, I think he like gave him a letter or something like that. And in the letter, something says like, I'm, I'm paying off your house. And I, I don't know if, and I think majority of it was because of the YouTube, you know, income, um, income yeah. um, for sure. But the, you know, he definitely launched into like wild now and all those other, you know, aspects right. with Nick Cannon. Um, but I did, I did think that came, that came a little later as a product of YouTube. Right. Um, but you know, I was like, "How is that? What? Like, what? What? How? 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 Yeah. Dude, no yeah. way! Like, no! Like, what does that mean? You know, I, I'm on YouTube. You know, just like most people are probably watching now, saying, well, 'Well, I'm on YouTube too. So how come I'm not? You know, like for sure. And and it wasn't until that time I started looking into like strategy, why, how, what's the best ways, or what are some um, ways to gain traffic, build your audience, okay. uh, provide value. Did you YouTube that or Google it? YouTube it, man. That's <laughs> it, dude. Yeah. That's what, that's what's crazy. Isn't about. that something? You yeah. know, like literally just go how you know, and there's, and, and, and those types of videos are super viral and, and, and helpful. And, and a lot of people are making them now because people are making it. And I'm, I, I didn't make it in YouTube. I, I, I'm still a, like an infant in YouTube space, uh, especially around some of the big creators. But I, but it, it just opened my eyes to say, to see like, oh, okay, there's definitely a ton of strategy involved. There's so many ways to do things. You're, you're, you're at the mercy of like the YouTube algorithm, hmm. uh, in a way. Right. And, and, uh, and what does that mean? What do you mean? I don't get yeah, it. What does that mean? You yeah. know, like, and then you start just, you know, following a lot of, you know, YouTube strategy people. Um, you know, uh, fundamentals of it, best, best practices. Okay. Um, you drop a couple names for the audience. Yeah. There's like uh think media, Sean Cannell, um, uh, Benji. Um, so like Benji's wife is, uh, it's Judy time. So she does makeup on YouTube, huge, you know, vlogger and they, they have their own, um, their own channels that they, their focus now is they, they ended up creating their content. Their wife had a vlog, same thing. They built this empire as far as understanding the, the best practices. Okay. Um, Daryl Eves, uh, Tim Schmoyer. So a lot of these oh, people, yeah. and even if you follow like people like uh, What's Inside, guy like Dan from What's Inside. Yeah, you just, there's all of them have, there's there's very common patterns of, of things you do. Interesting. And I started going into like YouTube summits. So I started going to conferences. Nice. And I'm like, what is, what? Look like, at that, what, huh? what, what is going on? Yeah, there's yeah. like, there's like meetups. Tell there's me like... more about that. So, so what's, what's that experience like? <laughs> oh, dude, it was, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, the, um, these summits, you're meeting up with people who are, uh, I mean, obviously there's uh, quote, quote unquote authoritative figures that are maybe that have a huge following and, and yeah. maybe they've been there since the fruition or maybe they're new to it, but they figured it out. They figured you know it out. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how many of these have you been to first of all? Um, so like I mentioned, I started last year taking okay. it seriously. Okay. So I went to like VidCon, okay. which was a very fan based video like platform. So that's up in LA or Anaheim, but VidCon is more of like, um, 
more of the younger generation, the tween generation okay. of YouTubers. That's because you have to understand nowadays, Hollywood stars are Hollywood stars to us and our generation. Right. Right. If you were to ask kids now that are literally, you know, 10 years old. And you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You're like, I want to be a YouTuber. 100%. And I'm like, and, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like, what? Like, no, you don't want to be an actor. You don't want to be Brad Pitt. You want to be like, I want to have my own vlog. I want to be like, you know, not maybe not be like Logan Paul, but you have these names out there that they're throwing out that are like, that's their, the YouTubers are their celebrities because YouTube is their TV. Right. Right. So kids nowadays, that that is TV. Hulu is TV. <laughs> Netflix is TV. YouTube is TV. So when they are sitting there binging off of, you know, Ryan's tour reviews, they want to do that. They want to be that. They want to, they see that. So to them, they are, that's their, that's their Brad Pitt's, right? That's their Tom Cruise's. Um, so when you, when you realize like that, that market and, and realize what is happening right now and embrace it instead of fight it, that's when it changed. I think that's when it changed for me. I was like, okay, well, well, okay, now what do I do? Like, okay, I'm at VidCon and it's a bunch of like teenagers. They're going, you know, just ape crap over YouTubers, like vloggers, like the, the Logan Pauls and all those other people. And I'm like, dude, these guys are, are freaking like the Beatles. Yeah. Right. So it's like unreal. And I go, that there's so much power behind it yeah right and this yeah. is the reason why social media now is so undervalued underpriced and this is why people and there's a there's gonna be a few years right now where it still is underpriced but it's gonna catch up yeah I right can imagine so it's gonna catch up but right now it's it's the best platform to be on from in my opinion because your reach is so big and um and uh your reach is so big and it's still early. Right. I, you know, I was just talking to friends last night actually about advertising on mm-hmm. social. Um, I mean, I, you can pay for a billboard that's on, you know, the 70, 78, Highway 78, and yeah. that billboard will be on the 78 the entire time. Right. And I don't know how much it costs to rent a billboard space like that, <clears throat> but I can imagine it's in the thousands of dollars. Right. I don't know. But let's assume that it's in the hundreds of dollars. For seven days, I can pay $35 for an Instagram ad. And instead of being just on that one freeway on one side of it, I'm literally reaching the entire world for 35 bucks. So it's unreal. Um, You you talked about underpriced. And I didn't, you know, I've done my research as well just to kind of understand how to market yourself. And by by no means am I a marketer, but I'm sure I could YouTube it. But you you see what I'm going, where I'm going with that. And I get, I get what you're saying. We're just in this incredible opportunity right now where we can have pennies on the dollar to pay for uh marketing ourselves our brand um your your work as a creative um and to have this unreal reach um, yeah and so the opportunity is there um and here's another thing too about youtube or just social in general you talked about ryan's toy reviews um you mentioned what's inside i mean these are people who are talking about toys this is somebody that's sawing through a a bowling ball or something you know what i mean and and that's their youtube video and people are like sincerely entertained by that yeah but anything can be a subject matter and in you and in your world in your case it's it's drone art and drone photography so 
it, it's a, it's amazing. We, we can talk about coffee grinds and, and we wouldn't know, sh- you know, we really don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> but we can YouTube and understand it a little bit more. And now with you being, um, uh, in the space of drone art and photography, you have a, a platform to speak on this subject. And, and I can, I mean, if you just look around the studio right now in your house, you got all kinds of gadgets, man. You're a techie uh, without a doubt. And <laughs> your passion for the technology and, uh, y- you know, and, and all the mediums that you use for your creative work, you can talk about that. Right. So tell me about, uh, as far as you building your following, was there like that one video or was there, was it a series of videos that really kind of created the following that you've gained on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, oh man, I mean, some some of the things, the biggest thing, and, and actually, just, sorry, just to go back as go far ahead. as what last year was, besides VidCon, uh, just, you know, and only because I want to give them a shout out, and this is like from like the people at Vid Summit. <laughs> Vid Summit's a really good one too. Um, you know, that's actually that's where I met a ton of people. <laughs> Go for it. You're good. Yeah, I'm choking on my coffee, guys. <laughs> I had to mute my mic in case you heard me on Aldrin's mic already. Now, please go ahead, though. No, yeah, yeah. It was um, Vid Summit was a good one, and I think uh, so. Vid, like I mentioned, VidCon was more of like a meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Vid Summit was is like for the creators to understand and meet and talk to people who are in the industry. Okay. So it wasn't like a fan thing. It was more of like, okay, you're, you're, you're a YouTuber or you want to be one. Here we go. Let's talk to the, to the people who have done it and let's get all the strategy out there. So it ended up being a smaller group uh, of like, you know, a few hundred. The next thing you know, like last year, was like I think a thousand. And then the year today, this year was, you know, like 1500 or some of that. But that's still tiny. Like you think about it. Interesting. Like you have, you know, 800 people, a thousand people there that are trying to take this thing seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason why they brought out some of the bigger guns as far as some of the keynote speakers. So, I mean, like Gary V, Gary V was there uh, for the past two years. So good to see him as a motivational speaker. It was, it was, it was dope to, to be in, you know, in, watch him speak. Yeah. Um, Garrett from, um, the bucket list family came out to talk about his story about Snapchat and how he kind of converted from Snapchat to, um, you know, how their, their lives are, which are full-time, full-time family journalists, basically. Um, and a bunch of other, you know, people, the, the, the owner of Patreon came out to talk and, oh, wow. um, you know, what's inside Dan and Jerry rig everything. Um, just and Pat Flynn. So just a bunch of people who are now have, I've been following, you know, now you get to sit there and, and watch it live and kind of pick their brains and realize like, you know, that everyone had their beginnings and the, and people were there to share some of their techniques and strategies. And you got a, to interact with these. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. And there's a bunch of side, side rooms too, where, you know, if you wanted to learn, um, you know, thumbnail strategy on YouTube, right. There's, you know, Roberto Blake had one over there and Sean Cannell kind of closed out the show and talking about his like, um, seven C's of, of YouTube, you know, uh, and, and go through. So, I mean, these guys are, these people are just the ones that are teaching and crushing it. And, and, um, it was good to kind of be in that, in that space. That's you, feel, awesome. you felt the energy. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> it's it's the energy that I felt looking around this room. I'm like, dude, we've got a computer, we got two mics, and a, we yeah, got we three cameras going. Super geeking out, and we're just like, let's just uh, set up everything. It feels so official in here right now. Yeah, we're just we were just having a laugh at how much we how much how many things we could plug into the walls yeah. just just to get this uh, thing going. Gosh, where were we? Just, just talking about oh yeah, the, shoot. the energy, Actually, the energy of the back, um, But um, but but I, but I had asked about what about oh um, what changed? You know, what changed, it? and how did you? Yeah, how did the momentum shift and how did you gain so much traction on YouTube? Mm, um, number one thing was purpose and value, right? Um, that was the biggest thing. I think when you jump on this space, a lot of people will jump on YouTube and go, yeah, I'm a YouTuber. I'm going to start vlogging. I follow Casey Neistat, and I think that's just the way to go because – he has millions of followers, and all he does is just have a camera on him, and he just rides a skateboard. I'm gonna do that, you know. I follow Peter McKinnon. I'm gonna make coffee, all right? And I'm gonna videotape myself, on my phone, and make coffee every morning, and I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's, it's. There's so much more behind it, right? That people, uh, you see that they do that, and yes, they have a lot of following. <laughs> But that's not their origin, right? The the their their the the way you you gain is to give, okay. And I was and and that's how it started. I go, you know, a lot of people same question. You know, how how did you gain this many followers? And this, trust me, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm a small YouTuber, but in the space, but it's a niche. Uh, I think I grew fast enough to to feel like I feel comfortable speaking about it. Because I definitely know a lot of YouTubers that have, have been taking this seriously for a lot longer than myself, which which haven't gained much traction. And um, you just learn to provide value that's a little bit longer term value. And when I say that is, if you if you do YouTube with the anticipation of making money off of it, and if I do something every day, and uh, the, then uh, uh, then it'll 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 catch. And I'll start getting gaining momentum. You're probably going to fail right away. It's very away. cool that you're saying that because I think it's. It, I'm sorry to cut you off, but uh, just with the when your intention is that end game of I'm going to make the money or yeah. I'm going to gain the followers, you lose sight of like what's really happening in that moment of you documenting what yeah. it is you're passionate about. For Please sure. Continue. No, that's it. I mean, um, it was a big deal. Uh, you know. When I when I started taking it seriously, when I, when I say that, I just mean like just I'm just looking at it at a different you know lens. You know, like yeah. everyone posts a YouTube video, puts some stuff in there, and then watches it and sits there refresh, refresh. You're like, come on, yeah. no views. You know, like yeah. five views, and I'm like, why is no one watching my stuff? You know, then you, you like then the strategy comes in. Why aren't people watching it? Uh, maybe they're not watching it because the title sucked. Maybe they're not watching it because my thumbnail wasn't attractive. Maybe they weren't drawn to it. Maybe my description wasn't straightforward enough. So it's not being picked up. You have to understand also that YouTube doesn't know what your video is about. People post it up and be like, man, I, I made this awesome documentary. And I'm like, sweet. And I look at it and I go, the documentary title doesn't even talk about the documentary. It doesn't say anything about the documentary or what it is. What You have to understand that people are searching for something. So people will just post up like a documentary and then they'll label it documentary, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. But it was a documentary about maybe your travels to Hawaii or the Philippines or something amazing. 
but li- it'll literally be like documentary zero two zero, right? Who the hell is searching for documentary zero, right? So yeah, you have to understand yeah. that like it's a search engine. So what are people searching for? They're searching for specific things, specific uh, subject matters. So you have to be able to make Google and YouTube understand what it is that you're actually posting. They have no, you, the, the, YouTube doesn't know what you're posting. It's just a video. All the data that you're adding to it is what picks up. That's where their algorithm starts to take over. So that's where algorithm and- kicks in. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So that's why you can even start in like even when you start posting a, a you know like and even the the title of it when when it's uploading. Mm-hmm. If you have things like TubeBuddy or some other ones that help you uh, help break down the details of your YouTube video, even if you just typed in, you know, uh, blue um, microphone, in that while your video is uploading and that's in your subject and that's in your um, title, it'll auto it'll start auto showing like all the things that are related to the microphone. Look at that for keywords and things like that. So. You have to understand that YouTube doesn't know what you're uploading. Bring this back, excuse me. Bring it back to what works. Um, what works is is what are you providing to your audience, and why? Give them a reason to come back, hmm. right? If you're making uh, videos of your home videos every day, and and I watch it, and I got zero value out of it. One, I don't know you. Uh, two, literally, probably was the worst footage edit music everything there's no reason for them to come back right right so the first thing you want to do is like provide value for an audience and 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 make sure that your niche is niched down enough that you have a focus if you try to please everybody you please nobody Hmm. right so everyone's like oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna travel i'm a travel vlogger and i'm a techie and i'm this and i'm like okay well who's who are you marketing to Quit. You, you you hit a travel vlogger, and now people that are travel vloggers maybe might migrate. Then all of a sudden, it's like boom, uh, uh, you know, a, a gear review, and they're like, Meh. like yeah, yeah. What nah, happened to the like, why did I why the... did I subscribe to him? Yeah. I want to. I just want to know about travel vlogging, right? Right. right. You. So you just have to kind of niche it down to a really specific thing, and do it well enough that you have followers in that space. So when I did it, and I and I tried to figure out, okay, what, what am I, I'm in the drones. I've been in the drones since, you know, 2013. I have a lot to offer or give back. And, and that's, that was my thing. Here's one I would give. Here's all the things I learned and failed. I'm going to share it with you guys. So you guys hopefully don't do the same things. Here's how to set up the drone because I couldn't figure it out. Now that I figured it out, let me share it with you. Here are the top 10 ways to set up your drone. Here are the five ways to get better shots. These are all things that live a little bit longer on YouTube because it's always going to be searched. Uh, here's what I picked up from what you just described too. You put out a video of things that you have tried and failed. Yeah. It's interesting to me because you talk about your experience and it's not about being an expert. It's about no. being, it's being a doer. Yeah. And doing also involves failing in the process, whether that's, you know, misunderstanding how to, um, you know, and I don't know the drone world, but let's just say you don't know how to pilot the thing correctly or whatever the case might be or, 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 or launching or landing or whatever the case um, you tried it, messed up, and you explained what that process was right. like for you and how to avoid it. And that's where the value kicks in. I'm that guy that knows crap about drones, but if I needed to figure it out, I'm going to go ahead and look up, you know, Aldrin probably <laughs> knows what he's talking about, right? 
Oh man, yeah. <clears throat> and it's because Ald- and Aldrin knows what he's talking about because he's effed up a couple of times yeah, in the process, uh, a lot. And and I and I want to avoid that. And now he's the guy. He's the guy that was the guinea pig, and yep. he explains how that guinea pig either survived or died. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I think that's the biggest thing is, uh, and what here? Oh man, here, here's the biggest thing about YouTube, and you can't lie on YouTube. Right. And, and what does that mean? Like, what do, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't lie on YouTube? Mm-hmm. You just can't lie on YouTube uh, because YouTube is, is a brutal place. Right. Facebook, Instagram, very filtered, very family oriented. You have a like and that's about it. Maybe maybe congrats. You know, you get a comment. Congrats. Um, cute photo. Right. Um, oh, great sunset. Amazing, bro. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> there's no there's no borders on YouTube. So you you have to have the thickest skin in the world because there's literally people there just to troll you. And and, and until you until you can kind of get over that, it is a very brutal place to be um when people just want to just go in on you and you don't realize like is it is it a real is it a real comment? Um, and, and if, and if you're BSing on tech, um, you'll get called out instantly. Yeah. Right. You can't BS on tech. I can't sit here and be like, oh yeah. And then I was flying my drone and, and it did this thing. And if you do this, it'll do this flip. And I'm like, that just doesn't happen. Right. (laughs) You'll, you'll get a hundred comments saying awesome clickbait, you know, thumbnail. Yeah. Thanks for the unsubscribe. Right. Basically like you will get called out. So I always normally will do my videos based on experience, which you should, hmm. unless it's like a first look or unboxing or some of that, where it's a disclaimer out there for for people to go. This is my first time looking at it too, so I'm probably I might say something that's wrong or whatever it is because I'm unboxing it and this is what I'm seeing. But when you're going back and re, re, shooting something and, and posting it up there. You know, you want to just post off of stuff that you've experienced and done. And if you haven't, there's no problem saying you haven't done it. Right. Right. There's like modes on my drone that I haven't used, but I'm not. So I'm not going to go out there and be like, this mode is awesome. And then I have no examples of it because I didn't do it. But, yeah. So why am I going to say it's awesome if I don't know? Right. Yeah. So like I learned like that was a big deal. You can't BS on YouTube because you will instantly be called out not only by your own community, but just by just by people in general. Sure, yeah. You know, because you know people don't realize that, excuse me, people don't realize that um, people that are watching your channel, majority aren't subscribers. So if you look at your analytics, you know, I think my subscriber base is, or my viewership is 90% non-subscribers. Interesting. So people are on your channel just watching and, you know, they're, they're, they're like Yelp reviewers. Yeah. They just want to, they just want to, hammer you they're learning and judging at the yeah, same time dude. Right? it's it's so it's hard it's That's it's funny. not easy so for anyone starting it i would say come at a really good place first of understanding what you're talking about mm. and talk from experience and being a, a real world practitioner versus trying to manipulate the system okay and, and thinking that you're going to gain views that way. Dude, that's sound advice and it's just super like it's literally just be honest right yeah <clears throat> um you know, a specific mode that you don't know anything about, if you are going to vlog about that on your channel, 
that disclaimer of like, this is my first time trying it. Here's what I yep. want to accomplish. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what the results look like. Right. right? So, you know, when it comes down to Google owning YouTube and, and it being a search engine, it's not about being an expert. It's about being experienced. Yes. For sure. That's that's legit, and I appreciate and respect that so much. Um, let's talk a little bit about your art. Um, you, So you do drone art. You do tech reviews on YouTube. You also have a day job as a designer yeah. and artist as well, right? <laughs> so describe that, and then, and then we'll get into some other stuff. Yeah, I actually do work. People, <laughs> he's got a day job, guys. <laughs> he's not just the Brad Pitt of YouTube and drama. Yeah, no, definitely not that at all. It's kind of funny, only because I never really post about it. Because it's, I mean, it's exciting work, and I love doing what I do. It's just, you know, it's like any social media. You kind of post up what you feel like is like, you know, gets just a little bit more attention than anything else, right? You're not gonna. Even though my day job is awesome, uh, half the stuff is also NDA, so I can't really like post stuff that I'm working with a specific client. Fair, yeah. Uh, but yeah, my day job is uh, is a designer. I'm a user experience designer. So I started out uh, as a graphic, you know, way back in the day, graphic design, and then it, that you know that moved into web uh, web design and all that, and then uh, then I got into more interactive design, interaction design. And then for the past ten years now, it's been user experience, mm. uh, user experience design. So to sum up that, which most people don't know what that is either, it's basically, um, you know, how do you reimagine existing or current softwares, uh, whether it be mobile phone, desktop experiences? How do you make it better? Oh wow! Right. So if you think of like <clears throat> Apple versus PC in a way, people love Apple because it's just so easy to use. Right, it's an easy platform. They make it really easy to navigate, to use. The ecosystem is great. So, in a sense, that's the that's the user experience that you are gaining that you like so much. So, my job is really to go into some of these companies and help them, um, you know, reimagine their legacy software uh, or create something from the ground up. Really? Yeah. I imagine that involves research and getting, you know, potential consumers of that product yeah. to, to test out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. How long have you been doing that? Yeah, I'd probably say ten, about 10 years 10 now. years? Oh, yeah, I mean, okay. it's it's interesting because you would, it's always kind of part of what I did before, which is more on the visual design side. I, you, would, you would normally always work with, like, in, when I used to work for agencies, you'd actually work with, like, user, user experience um, uh, researchers. Um, okay. And, but as a designer... If you work in an agency, normally you have a, a specific UX person that does a lot of the research, the strategy, and will give you almost a skeleton of what they, their outcomes are. Okay. Right. Okay. So here I talk to the user. Um, this is their pain points. We've we've drawn up, you know, whether it be a you know, really high level information architecture of where we feel like the software can go, then they will normally hand that to us as visual designers as in a wireframe state. Got it. Right. They'll say like, OK, well, here's what the user is doing. Here's all the all the navigation pieces that they need. Here's all the pages that they want to navigate to. Um, you know, here's some better practices of of, of them um, building their user stories. Mm -hmm. And then they'll normally, this is, I'm talking more of an, as an agency, as a UX person, um, then they will normally give it to me at that time when I used to work with agencies and I was on the visual design side. Okay. So they would give me like a wireframe. It's already built out. The story's already built out and I would just almost have to just re-skin re it. I would okay. skin that wireframe um, based on their needs, based on the, the company's, you know, style guide or if we're coming up with something fresh, then we can kind of think out of the box. Um and then when I moved to 
when I started working for my latest company, it was you're 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 doing all those now. Oh wow! So I used to so went from visual design to okay, well, cool, that's great, you can design, but I need you to go and now talk to the people. Interesting. I need you to do the research. I need uh-huh. you to figure this out. I need you to build out, you know, the whole uh, process flows and process maps of what that, you know, the journey maps. Uh, of of that user, I need you to build personas. Uh, who who's using it? Why they're using it? Yeah. What's their role? What's their title? What's their what are they feeling? How are they feeling it? How are they feeling when they use this? All that shit. Interesting. It was it, like do you go through that and you're like, damn, this is like a. I can see why in an agency it's a separate job because it's so so much detailed. Wow. Yeah. But my current job. You, we, we have to kind of do a little bit of all of it okay. uh, as my role. So that's the reason why when a lot of people say, like, how can we don't drone full time? I go, because I'm doing this and I, this is it's awesome. Okay. It's so fun doing it. You know, um, I, and I'm thinking about your role in your current job and everything in addition to what you're doing so on social media, YouTube specifically. Um, it sounds like you have an understanding of uh, end user experience. Uh, and and you have to kind of reverse engineer yeah. what they would like accomplished from whatever application operating system whatever the case might be. Um, you have to reverse engineer what that will look like then based on what they want. Yes. Um, how does that experience or your expertise in that world? How does that bleed into your work outside of work? Wait, one more time. Rephrase that. Yes. Yeah, so, so let me. Yeah. I'll, let me ask the question more clearly. How does your experience and expertise at work, you, you know, the role and yeah, and what you do. Okay. How do those experiences play into what you do on the side? Um. Oh, I mean, definitely does a, a lot, right? So, my day job is the same thing, right? You have a, a specific type of client. Everyone has an end goal. Everyone has like this is my this is. For for this time frame, this is our this is our MVP, right? Mm-hmm. This is our mi- minimal viable product. This is what I need at a specific time and place, um, and what we're budgeted for, whatever it is, right? Uh, when it comes to YouTube, it's very similar. I think it's very similar in the the putting the the clients as the end goal of what do I me as the client? What do I want to hear? Got what it. I want to see? What are the common things that I want to kind of get answered? Yeah. Right. So when I so I approach that in, in that in that manner as far as thinking about my video. Okay. So if I'm talking about a tutorial, same thing. If I'm the user, what are those exact things? What are those exact steps I need to take to do a specific, you know, action? And I'll and exactly it. I'll just reverse engineer that. You know, how do I how do I use filters on my camera? Well, first of all, what am I shooting? Okay, I'm going to shoot some long exposure photos at the beach. Okay, so I, I, I look at what my end goal is. That's my end goal, to shoot a long exposure photo at the beach with a drone. Now, what are the steps to get there? There's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six uh-huh. steps to get there. That'll be my outline, right? Got so it. so this, as long as I start hitting my outline as I go through my video, then I, th- I, I think I'm good. You know, I, I, I met from what I feel like my goal was, which is to meet that, 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 um, that topic, uh, when I'm shooting. And this is where that value again kicks in, where you're, yeah. you're understanding from a, a re, a, someone who wants to research or understand how to accomplish that shot or how right. to accomplish those techniques. 
um, you would you need to put yourself in their shoes, really, yeah, and, and yeah. figure it out from there. All right, so being an artist isn't exactly the most conventional occupation, but a lot of my listeners on the show are they have similar ambitions, whether they're an artist visually or um, you know maybe they've got some other creative ambition, but um, with the experience that you've had over the course of you know the last decade, um, describe like a major setback that you may have experienced in your journey, whether that's a personal setback or something work related or, or, or even you know YouTube related. Something that you ran into, how'd you overcome it? Um, I would say I definitely had a lot of setbacks. Okay, and I think I think those only. Um, first of all, I'll talk about some of the setbacks that just happened, uh, and mostly because of as a designer, you are normally labeled into marketing. Okay. Right, so you're you're kind of in that marketing group, and when I say that is is you know most companies will have a design group in their company. They're just under the marketing umbrella. Okay, so I would say one of the setbacks that I've experienced in the past was um, you know during especially during like the recession. Okay, um, when companies lose money the first thing they do is normally cut marketing, which is counterintuitive in a way. Because when everyone's cutting marketing, you should be out there pushing harder your brand. But it just didn't, it normally doesn't work that way. Um, they'll, they'll normally cut marketing. So I think at the time, and, and, and this is this is when everyone was kind of going through that that low point, I, I would say, um, when was that? Like, oh, you know, 08, 08 09, yeah. <clears throat> during the housing crisis and everything. Um, it never got to, to, I mean, it got to an extreme, but it, it, I think what, what made me realize that there, there, there is no, there is no job security, right? I don't, I feel like there really isn't. And, and, and when you, and this is just me in general, cause I, I was actually a contractor and a freelancer for like five years before, even before this recession hit. Okay. Um, I was just normally always a contractor, freelance, doing my own thing, having my own clients, going out and you know making my own sales and whatever it was. I did work for a bunch of design agencies. I did do a lot of stuff, but at the same time, I was always still doing my own thing. I never, I, I never not did my own thing. Okay. Um, because most of the time, you when you work for a job, they have you either on a long term project or they have you doing something that might just be you know. Not as not not necessarily challenging, but you just want to venture out and do other things, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be in a long term project, and you just you just want to do something else. I want to do photography. I want to do this, you know. So I was always doing my own thing, but at the same time, during that time, you know, when when you are when when marketing budgets are getting cut, it it made me kind of just realize that how how are you like setting yourself up? What are you doing? Mentally, what are you doing? I wouldn't even say just financially, but what are you doing to uh, find other outlets to to push in in that creative space to make sure that you are not only just well off enough for you to maintain, but mentally, how are you? How are you? Because huh. that at that time, when when everything was kind of slow, 
and if you weren't finding jobs and you weren't finding contract jobs and your day job was slow, you knew that you were walking on, you know, you're, everyone's like walking on eggshells every day, at, you know, at work because yeah. unless you're in a specific type of field, you know, where you feel like there's a little bit more, um, I would say, um, job security, maybe, maybe you're in like some sort of healthcare or, you know, uh, police force but but even even then i mean there's there's times where you hear like police force can laying off 1200 people right so at that point when you know every time you think like oh my god i'm safe or you feel safe you're you're almost never not safe right i get it yeah you know my my, my wife's a nurse and it's kind of funny because a lot of people that like oh i'm gonna go into nursing because i can get a job right away and i'm like absolutely but maybe not here you might have to work at a clinic like in Texas or True. something because it's not like you graduate and boom, you get a job. Yeah. So I don't care. Like even at that level, nothing's guaranteed. Right. So it just made you realize how expendable you are to an extent unless you really focus on something that's more of a specialist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of changed my role from just a designer to going into more of a years of experience role is because UX is more of user experience and visual design is more of a specialist role. And if I just stayed, I felt like if I just stayed in design or graphic design, uh, more traditional, that it was more of, I felt like it was more of an expendable role okay. that, that companies you know didn't value as much. Um, where um, where, I, where I started making that transition to a, I would say, a higher or more specialist type of role. But even when I made that transition, it just made me still feel uncomfortable because once, once it happens to you once, you will never get rid of it. You'll never get rid of that feeling of like, uh, crap, like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, what do I do? What do I do tomorrow? Wow. Right? Yeah. So it, when I when I hit that kind of like level, I was like, I need to find and do everything else because you don't know where it's going to take you in a year. You can you can go hard at something, or I mean, you can kind of float and do your job and not realize that if you just jumped over that little gap and went hard in another direction for like two years, that your life can completely change. Right. And I think that was the time I started making more, um, I would say, calculated risks of experimenting and trying different things to expose myself to things I would I normally felt too comfortable doing. You're saying artistically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as a designer, I was fine. I, I, I knew that that was my core. Then when I got into photography, I like I'm going to go hard at photography. I'm going to do. I'm going to go hard at it. What does that mean? Well, I'm, let me learn it all. Get all the equipment and shoot for shooting, you know, weddings and photos and, and, and families and do that. And I want I want to experience what it is to get to like, what are the big boys doing in that space, and just try to you know, expedite my route there. So when I started getting photography, it was like that. So I so I kind of went from design and and I always did photography and videography, you know that, but it was never I just did it as like I'm just doing it. I never did it to go what what is the highest level of it. Huh. Right. And, and that changed your and that shift changed of mindset. It, right. Yes. Because now people, instead of you always just doing it with no end goal or no like aspiration of like, what is that next level? What's that next level? You just kind of just coast. Got right? you. Yeah. So it made me just realize like, I don't, I, I never really coasted, but I don't, 
I don't have the time to coast. Right. I respect that. Yeah. So that's when that's when the drones came in, and I'm like, drones are here. Right when I started it, and this is my trailer on my YouTube channel, which is basically why did I get into drones? I want to make a book. Who the hell's making books? Nobody's making books. Right. I wanted that to be my goal. I, I follow like Clark Little. I follow like Aaron Chang here in San Diego. To me, those were the pinnacle of like photography and, and action photography and beach photography. Um, what did, what were they doing? Oh, well, they have galleries. I don't, I don't want a gallery, um, but they did this. They do prints. They do high quality, highest acrylic metals. They have their books. They have their merch. They have, I'm like, I want, I want that. Okay. I, I want. I, I'm not close to it. I'm, my skills not aren't close to it. But I had an end goal. Now, like I always say, how do I re- reverse engineer that? Yeah. Right. That's when it changed, and when I got into drones, it was like, "What's my end goal?" And then I mean, backtrack it. Now, so if I hit it, then I'll be really excited, <laughs> and I felt like I, I accomplished what I needed to do. Then let me make another one, right? Uh-huh. So when I did that, and I changed to aerial photography, my end goal was I'm gonna make a book. So when I started it, my focus was shooting, going out and shooting for the book. A year and a half later, made the book. Made, I made that goal, right? I'm, now my book, to me, is like, I have my book, I have Aaron Chang's book, I have Clark Little's book. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not on their level. I'm but there. guess what? I have my book with them. Yeah. Like, that's all I care about. Who, who did I reach out to? Because I wanted to learn it. Nobody. Because no one I knew was doing a book. Like, hard, I'm talking about hardcover. I'm not talking about paperback. I'm talking about a photo coffee table book, mass-produced, thousands-printed how do I do that? I had no one to reach out to. So I went online, researched it, took chances, went, took chances on a print company in the East Coast, did not know anything about them, sent them money. They worked with a company in China, printed my book out. That's the only way you can actually get it done to make to, to try to break even and make money off of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it was to do it overseas. And it happened. Wow. And like I said, that year and a half, two years, I was like, if I didn't go hard at it, I would have just been another person when there's nothing wrong with it, but I would have just been another flyer taking a photo at the same place, posting on my same social media with no like end goal. And I wasn't satisfied with that. Yeah. You were, yeah, you weren't going to shoot aimlessly. You had something at that, that, that end goal is what you were after and you just have to figure it out from there. Yeah. You had the like, purpose. You had the, yeah. And I always, I always talk about that. You always have to have the purpose of yeah. why you're there. Okay. During the time that you uh, began to, I guess, expand your artistic limit, um, trying new things, when drones came out, you were like, okay, this is this is it. This is where I want to, you know, uh, put my emphasis in, uh, my artistic effort in. And you did the research and all of that. Was it, Were you let go from that one marketing department or whatever it was during the recession? No, okay. no yeah, wasn't, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to connect the timelines. That's yeah, all. yeah, no, it wasn't. Wasn't that I was let go? It okay. was. Um, it was a time where you, you, there was no de- like there was not not that there wasn't demand for you or de- for your like job title. It was. It, uh, it was not just you. It was just the industry. The industry, right? Okay. Yeah. No one was. You saw it volatile. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And you were like, okay, I've got to make sure that I have. 
I continue artistically to, to expand my abilities. Yeah. <clears throat> provide value so that I'm marketable as a, as an artist. Yes. I got you. Okay, cool. And, and you, you, you hit the head on it earlier. It was, and this is where you two came to play. You don't have to be the best at it. You know, you don't, because no one is the best. You just have to have your angle and be willing to learn and understand and evolve with it. And I think that's the biggest deal. I'm never going to be the best drone pilot. No, there's millions of drone pilots way better than me. But that's not my purpose. Uh-huh. My purpose is to get a, a specific type of shot. So as long as I have enough skill and knowledge to fly it to a location and then shoot that shot and understand my post-production on it, then I'm happy. I, I don't need to FPV race. I don't need to be on you know drone drone racing league. That's just not that's not my my goal, mm-hmm. right? My goal was to just have specific types of photos, and 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 produce that book at that time. But yeah, it was it was it was definitely an eye opener at that during that that recession and that housing crisis where you just need to separate yourself as far as the specialist goes, and not just be just just worry just about that role you're playing. Okay. Yeah. Because if you worry just about just only the role you're playing, guess what? Your your peers are also just there with you. So unless you're setting yourself up separately or different, you're you're just as marketable or or unmarketable, unmarketable too. Yeah, as they are. <clears throat> so I think that's what changed in my mind was I just I need to branch and experience everything because you just never know what could what could become and if you do it seriously for like a year you have to give yourself that's a problem with people these days they expect it like in two months they expect something to happen in, in three months six months you got to give yourself like two years but you also have to go hard at two years right yeah yeah uh, my, my, my analogy is like you just it's like working out you know you're not going to see a difference in in two months only a little bit but if you say hey in two years or a year from now and if you go hard at it Definitely, you're going to see a huge difference, right? So, yeah. works the exact same way. You can read about how to build abs, but until you build abs, yeah, you're not going to build abs until you are building <laughs> abs. Until you're actually working the muscles, which take time. Um, yeah, you, you have nothing to show for it. Yeah, as a, as an artist, you ever have moments? I mean, because I can imagine that people who are striving and, and super ambitious to to make it in a creative space. Um, They've got to do stuff for little or no money. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and you're talking about that year going hard, you two years going hard. That means also biting the bullet and taking it to the chin that you're not gonna do or make anything of it yet. Yeah, patience. Patience is everything. Um, Like I said, if you if you if you join YouTube thinking to make money. Uh, you have a long road, right? Long road, or a real short one where you find out fast. You burn out real yeah. quick. I mean, that, that burnout is no joke. It's real. Yeah. Um, when you feel like you're um, you're uh, under that gun, under that pressure. Um, but yeah, you don't. You know, you don't want to do. It. You know, you understand that the money's there. Now, how do you approach it? How do you get there? Is another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but are you satisfied are you, on that route? Are you satisfied on that journey? See, there's a different way. There's a, a ton of ways I can clickbait myself to get more people to follow. And a lot of people do it, right? Um, I don't feel good about it though, but, but it, it happens every day. Um, 
and I don't hate on it. I, I, I kind of just like, oh, man, come on, man. You know, like, you know, I get it. I get it. you're trying to you're trying to, you know, bring in some viewers uh, and you might get more dislikes because of the clickbait. But, you know, the, the way the algorithm works, some dislikes are just as good as likes in a way because you're, you're it's engagement. Yeah. Um, I just don't feel good about it, though. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's a there's a there's definitely a, a lot of fine lines you want to take. Um, but there's, there's so many ways to do it. It's like a digital dishonesty. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the way it is, dude. You know, like, um, you know, you want to hack the system. You want to get a bunch of Instagram followers, go out every day and take a picture of a sunset on your cell phone. No shit, huh? <laughs> you'll get, you'll get followers. For right. Real. Yeah. It's a way to hack the system. You know, you would like for like, or follow for follow or tag and this. And I mean, but like, but there's quick routes to it. You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely quick routes to do certain things. Even on YouTube, there's quick routes to do certain things. It's just a matter if you feel good about it. Because mm-hmm. I, I can sit there and just do sunset shots all day. And I can gain way more than I gain now. I don't gain that many on my Instagram. Only because I just haven't been able to go out and shoot. So it's kind of evolved into, like, product stuff. But, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with the, the that route. Because definitely people have branded themselves to be a sunset sunrise photographer. Nothing wrong with that because that's their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I'm just saying there's there's definitely ways like that where I can go out and take a cell phone picture and get a couple hundred likes because I, I went on my balcony and took a sunset photo because it's just an easy ooh like done. And and, and then I, some days I can go out and take a you know a, be out shooting for three hours and do a panoramic shot of, you know, uh, over this bridge, over a waterfall and get like a hundred likes. You're like, dude, serious, man. <laughs> like really all that work. But you, you know, if you, if you're doing it for that, then, then you have, you have, you have a lot more coming to you. It's, it's not, you know, you, you just can't do it for the, like they say, to do it for the gram, right? It, yeah. It, yeah. It's, you, you talk get, about you saturation. Get, it's because of those. It's animals. because of that. Yeah. 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 Did you ever have, have moments where you doubted like this was the right path? Um, I mean, I, uh, like which path? Um, the unconventional, untraditional work that you do. No, because uh, I guess it's just normal for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the easiest thing when you tell, like, especially our culture, like, what do you do? And they're like, like I do art. Like, <laughs> sweet. Like, what does that mean? Right. Like I do art, I do do, do design. Yeah, you know, you know, like our culture is, is was built around you know nurses and navy and engineers. If you weren't one of those, then you're not gonna make it. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and that's where that's where things have changed, and 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 it's funny because now it's like to be a creative is like the nurse or the engineer nowadays. everybody wants to be a creative everyone wants to be a creative and it's just, it's it's cool and uh, but it's interesting because it's just it's just one of the fields that just you know just like most things it's when it's when it's different it's not accepted it just takes it just takes time to be accepted same way drones are it's not accepted yet mm-hmm. so it'll you know five ten years from now people are gonna be like nah, and then not yeah. even blink an eye yeah right yeah and then when your well, amazon you packages get there in an hour everyone's gonna be like i love drones right <laughs> right but right now it's like oh there's a drone here and you're spying on me it's just not accepted right you know and that's the reason why 
uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in this field that's just it's just not as accepted as it, you would think it would be. And, you know, that's the reason why I look up to like, you know, you know, innovators like 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 Elon Musk and you know, just go just do it. Just mm. don't worry about what people are saying. You have the resources. Just do it and figure it out. You talk about um, drones not being a huge industry. It's not. I mean, I think it's growing for sure. I think of, as just the, the common Joe. I see it as a growing industry. I don't know much about it at all. You do, but you're and you're so deep into it. But you just said it yourself that it's it's not huge, but it will be. Being that it's not huge, and you continue to to stay within that niche, what keeps you going? Um, I think just being a, a a tech nerd. You know, I think anyone anyone that's just into tech in general, um, it evolves. And, and and it's evolved from not just drones now it, it's kind of it's kind of uh you know moved into a little bit of everything camera gear and and just the way we're able to um the, you know the type of resources and type of innovation that's moving because who would have thought you know like five years ago there were no tech jobs or like you know five eight years ago there was no you know silicon valley in a sense that's how fast it's moving Huh. Right. So even in the tech world, even when it comes to drones, um, you just you, you're so stimulated, I think, because of the fact it just moves so fast. Got it. Constant of constant evolution. Of mm-hmm. And um, and and being in the space makes it exciting because it's just evolving and then not even just evolving with the drones. It's evolving with cameras and evolving with just all the all the um you know, IOT stuff, so Internet of Things and voice and everything. And now it's like, you know, so there's a, there's, it's just moving into all these different directions. And and moving with it is really fun because now I think how I'm, how I like look at my kids and how they're interacting with this stuff um, makes you go, okay, well, now you kind of want to think like, how are, how are they doing it right now? This is how they're learning it, which means it's, it's, this is the way it's going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're not up to speed with that, then like it's just like us, like you know, our parents don't know how to do and check emails. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, my, my mom still writes checks like it's just, you know, they don't they don't want to deal with it. You know, it's, But us, it's like we're right in, in it. We are. So it's a matter of you embracing it and kind of understanding it and moving with it or, or fighting it. But I, I enjoy, you know, working with so many different companies and people that it's just there's always something new. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap it up with one last question. It just If you look, we're coming to the close of the end of this year. When you look <laughs> at just this year alone, what's the biggest lesson that 2018 slapped into your face? Uh, biggest lesson. <clears throat> I would say, and this is actually a lesson I would say was from last year to this year. And I would... Uh, Actually, probably for the past couple of years, but this couple of years, I would say, is is a hundred percent mindset, hundred percent mindset. And to me, it was one of the biggest things I like to do is understand um, and not be frustrated or mad about certain things, and and let it understand that you can control certain things and you can't control certain things. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can control, make the most of it, you know, uh, carve it out the way you want it to be or what you want to do. 
you can't control it, then don't get frustrated with it. Let it go. Let it go. Hmm. Right. So there's certain things, and, and I say this in a, in, in a very you know, and, and you can use this in, in your daily kind of lives in, in general. Where I used to be, you know, when I work with clients, and I don't, and I'll give a short kind of story about it. It's like when you work with clients, there's certain things you can and can't control. You can't control when they're at work. You can't control their 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 um, you know certain parts of the project. You uh-huh. can't control those things. So why get upset about those things, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a very common thing. So every day at work, you like you get mad about certain things. But I can control what I produce for them. I can't control how much I reach out to them. I can control how much I direct the conversation, how much I uh, produce and 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 you know communicate with them. I can control those things. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm not doing it, those things I can control, then it's, it's 100% my fault. The things I can't control, like their availability, those things, you know, I can't get mad at that. But I can't control. So as long as I'm doing all the things I, I feel like I can control, uh-huh. then I feel good. Yeah. And I think the mindset around that is that's where a lot of stuff changes that, um, you know, you have to stay positive a, a lot more than anything else because it's very easy to, it's very easy to, um, what is it called? Negativity loves company. Is that what it oh, is? Yeah. Like, <laughs> misery loves, misery loves company. company. Yeah. Um, when, when you disconnect yourself from a lot of that, you, you you find like a, a like a happier place. That's great. I think the the you, you mentioned the word mindset in the beginning of your explanation, and I think it starts with owning your thoughts and emotions in that moment. Things that you can't control and are, are out of your hands, you you can't do anything about them. It's gonna happen that yeah, way, regardless. Yes, and yet the effort, the action, the activity, all of those things that you have within you that's what you have to apply yeah and if you don't apply it then you have to hold yourself accountable to that and blame yourself because it didn't work out the way you wanted to based on what you could have controlled yes i hear you man yeah blame blame yourself for everything actually yeah accountability 100 percent. because yeah. it's 100 percent your fault at the end of the day <laughs> but that's it yeah i mean like you, you know you that's it man i mean you, you can you just have to prepare yourself for whatever and i, I don't have life figured out I don't think anyone does. I'm going to hit roadblocks and I, and I still do every day. Um, but at least I, I just, like I said, I feel, feel better knowing that like, all right, there's a lot of things I could do and I'm going to do it now and not put it off because who would have thought like, I, I wouldn't have thought a year and a half ago I would have said like, you know, I do YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who says that now? Well, I mean, see, three years ago, three years ago, I was like, okay, I was doing aerial photography. Yeah. Now it's like, I do YouTube. Like, what do you mean? You do YouTube? What does that mean? You have this sign, um, just kind of touching on what you were discussing, but life's short. That's it. Make moves. Yeah. 100%. Too short. You have now. Might as well act on it, right? Yeah, and I made that thing like, I think, 12 years ago. I appreciate that sign. Walked in. (laughs) It's one of the first things I saw. Aldrin, thank you so much for your time today, man. Like, I, um, I had all these questions prepared, audience, that... You should have, you should read what I had written down and what I sent to Aldrin as a precursor to this interview, and it went a completely different direction, and I'm so glad that it did because he dropped some gold for you guys to pick up on, and I hope that you can apply it um, to whatever it is that you're after. Um, by all means, give this a couple of listens. Aldrin, how can people interact with you online? Yeah, my um, 
I mean, I think, you know, all my social, well, my, what sucks is my social media is all spread. So Instagram is just Instagram uh, forward slash uh, Aldrin, which is A-L-D-R-Y-N. I'm on YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash flight path, which is F-L-Y-T-P-A-T-H. Uh, all one word. So youtube.com forward slash flight path. Um, Twitter, I'm at, at Ace, A-C-E. So I was an early adopter of Twitter. You sure were. I got the initials A-C-E, which <laughs> everyone, I get messages on that. People people want to buy it off me. Um <laughs> Uh, and that, that's probably been the, the main way is I, I respond to all my YouTube comments and all my DMs. So uh, feel free to hit me up on there. Cool. Appreciate your time once again, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Aldrin Estacio, everyone. You know, what I appreciate most about what Aldrin shared was that he takes his passion for drones and took risks to make it an income-generating art form. I've got a lot of respect for his advice because he was so intentional about learning how to create content on YouTube that was relevant and true to his experience, and that's how he gained his following. He was very deliberate about those meetups and seminars and learning how to build content with strategic approaches. And I think that 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 methodical way of doing anything really is how you get better and learn more about how well you fit into a particular space. And Aldrin really was able to express that and share his knowledge and how he gained that following so successfully by being authentically him. And he admits to being a small but growing resource on the web, and yet he found that his authentic experience is what earns him the respect as an authority in this field. You want to connect with Aldrin? I left a link on his for his Instagram and his YouTube in the description, so unlock that phone and give Aldrin a tap and holler at him. Send him a DM and, sh- and shoot him kudos or even ask him a question about today's show, and perhaps he can actually give you some more insight that dives a little bit deeper than this hour and a half show that you just listened to. In the meantime... If you found that this episode was helpful or you like this episode, please rate and review Setting Stages on whatever platform you're listening from. It helps the show gain more traction and and relevance on the web. And if you believe that there's some value to be found, help a brother out and link that thing in. Snap it onto your screenshots and share it onto your social media. Tag me at underscore Eddie Mac on Instagram, and I'll be sure to repost your post as well. Thank you guys so very much for your support. For the time being, until next time, live passionately, live with purpose, and serve others while you're at it. Have an excellent day, everyone. Let's go.